Welcome to the Hella Meditated Podcast with Joe Clements. Let's go. Okay, here we are. So I want to welcome, and I forgot to ask you this. I got a really a, a funny story, but um, so is it Kelly or Kate? So it's never Kelly. Never Kelly. Is it Callie? <laughs> so my, I have a guru now. My, I have a guru oh, okay, and he okay. gave me the name Kelly Lalita. Kelly so, Lalita. but there's no, there's like, if we could use the international phonetic alphabet, that would be helpful. But like when you translate it to English, uh, I guess we could write K-A-Y-L-E. Kaylee is, Kaylee Lalita is a name for, for um, Radharani. Uh, Shakti. Nice. And um, but you can call me Kate too. It's really <laughs> half, you know, a lot of people call me Kate. So I, I don't really mind either way. I like both of my names and they I answer to both of them. Nice. Okay. So welcome everybody to the Hella Meditated Podcast. I'm really excited to have uh Kate. I'm gonna say Kate 08 from uh from the band um 108, Project Kate, which I want to talk about. Uh, Equal Vision Records. And um, so people that don't know, um, 108 was a a Krishna band in the 90s. And a band that really, I want to tell you, Kate, that um, it got me into spirituality. I was newly sober, early 90s. And I was in 12 step and they're always saying higher power kind of stuff. And I was just like, nothing just like, uh uh-uh, like, I was not into the Christian kind of stuff that they're feeding. And when like Shelter and 108 came around and, you know, cause I was into the straight edge scene and, you know, Youth of the Day and, uh, and Inside Out and stuff. So when these bands were coming about, I started looking into Krishna consciousness and I was like, oh, this, this kind of, this resonates more. And it's like these, these bands are screaming it in the mic and I'm like, this is great. You know, so I kind of <laughs> went on that, you know, path and it opened up to, I think, you know, spirituality and the whole and a whole kind of new look at uh, Eastern philosophy and stuff like that, and eventually got into um, Buddhism later. But uh, I just want to thank you for that. And uh, well, it's it's um, I mean, it's amazing to hear now, you know, like 25, 30 years later, but it's a story that I've heard a lot. And so I feel like we did something. We did something good for the world, you know, and at the time. I don't know if we, you know, knew that was going to happen. I'm pretty sure we didn't know that was going to happen, but we were definitely part of, it turns out it was a social revolution more than we really planned it to be. So that, and and I'm glad because it's had a good effect on a lot of people's lives. And for that, I'm really grateful to have been part of it. Absolutely. It was a revolution. It was like, it turned that whole, you know, um, I remember, I remember as a kid next door, I grew up in Santa Cruz and next door and so fucked up the way kids are and like how it grew up. I just, I'm going to out myself on this, but like there was Krishna, there was like, it wasn't a temple or anything. It was a bunch of um, devotees living in this house, like next door to us. And we just called them the orange people. Cause they all wore orange, you know, that, yeah. and I was, and I didn't even know what it was, you know, and you know, they had the, uh, uh what is the, um, Sika. Sika. Yeah, the Sika yeah. stuff. And I was just like, I was intrigued, but it's like kind of scared at the same time. So, you know, and that that was well, like, I mean, especially then, like now there's now yeah. there's like 
just we're so like our society now, 25, 30 years later, is so saturated with Buddhist teachings as common mm-hmm. knowledge. And, you know, but in the, in those days, I mean, yeah, it was like, who are these people? And, you know, yeah, they're the people at the airport out. or whatever, you know, crazy. And I'm like, no, this is then. Yeah. Then when you you guys, um, you know, were starting to spread the message a little bit, it was a revolution because it turned it was like, oh, no, it opened up like look into it you know and then that's just how we are right we just like judge the book or whatever by the cover yeah, and, sure. you know and it's like if it's different uh don't like it kind of thing you know or judge and, it. yeah and to be fair the they didn't do a really good job of you know it was so fanatical in the beginning mm, and it was so yeah. monastic in the beginning yeah, yeah yeah that it didn't you know you the, the people you didn't see were the like the Grihasta people, the householder, married people right. who were living somewhere else. So you were just seeing and what was like known in America was all the monks. Yep. So when you just see monks, it's kind of like, hmm. And also you're like, I don't know if I really want to do that. That's a Absolutely. lot. It's, yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot a of work. And it's like, you know, it's very strange. And I my husband had, you know, he was on tour with Uther today. <laughs> And he and, he and, and Raghunath, Ray Kappa, were mm-hmm. basically had gotten a Bhagavad Gita and they were ready. They were hook, line and sinker. They were like, OK, the next temple we have, we're, we're going to join. Really? <laughs> so so when they got there, they're like, OK, put on this dhoti, you know, and they're yeah. like, actually, we're going to wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. and, and Just the like, dhoti. <laughs> Just the and, uh, which, like, if you don't know what a dhoti is, it's kind of like the Krishna pants, except it's not a pants. It's just a big long sheet that you wrap around your legs. Yeah. And it's like, you know, <laughs> traditional Indian clothing, but not traditional Indian clothing. Like in the modern world, it's like 19th century. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, probably, you know, still people still wear dhotis in India, but it's, you know, it's definitely not what everybody wears for sure. No, yeah. So yeah. It, it was funny because, yeah, the, all of those things are, they seem like a, it was a little bit of a gatekeeping, you know, in the, in the sure. sense that you see those things and you're like, yeah, you know, you don't necessarily yeah. like, oh, let me embrace this very strange cult. And also the other thing I think that was confusing about the Krishna devotees is they're at, at that time. And this is not true anymore. It was all white people. Yep. So you didn't yeah. even associate it with with India or Indian tradition. You just associate it with like strange, yeah. strange whiteies, you know, <laughs> doing stuff. You didn't even know what it was. But you know, when you now our temples are are not like that anymore. It's mostly mm-hmm. mostly Indians or people who for whom this was their their sort of family traditional practice. So Beautiful, it's yeah. it's shifted a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Um, yeah, and I, I want to talk more about about all that um maybe let's uh let's just do a little grounding meditation i always like to start with oh, a yeah. grounding meditation but I, I love getting right into it so so for those of you that are listening if you're driving or sitting um standing just knowing your posture so just feeling into your posture knowing that you're sitting knowing that you're standing um if you're driving just knowing that you're driving and just take a moment this is a moment just to arrive you know Uh, You put on the podcast, Kate and I just kind of meeting each other for the first time. It's a lot of excitement, a lot of emotions, a lot of feels. So if your eyes aren't closed yet, just let your eyes wander and check out your surroundings. It's a great way to orient to your surroundings, let the nervous system Check in, let the nervous system know that you're okay. If you're driving, just do this a little bit. (laughs) 
If you're sitting, you can just let the head move all the way to the back of you, left and right, above and below. And then just take a moment to rest your eyes or close your eyes and check in. Feet, seat, sounds, and the breath. You've arrived, we're here, listening, meeting new people, setting an intention to connect and inspire. Just taking a few deep breaths, wherever you feel the breath coming in, following that breath in, expanding, letting a long, slow breath out. And then whenever you're ready, if your eyes aren't open already, opening your eyes, coming back into this outer world, checking in. Cool. Thank you, Kate everybody so a few questions part of uh my my you know kind of hope and dream and intentions for the podcast is to get to know some of my uh for lack of a better word i guess heroes and and mentors and you're one of the people that inspired me to um to seek out spirituality in different different forms. So I really appreciate that. But you know a little bit about your background and, and where you're from. So a question, just uh, you know, let, letting us know, letting me know, the viewers know, or the listeners know uh, where you grew up, where you, wh- where'd you grow up and, and what were you like as a kid? Okay, so um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in upstate New York, actually. So I... That, that's actually how, and it, it's a it's a part of how I got into spiritual life, actually, because I grew up on the, so right now I'm sitting in Columbia County, which is mm-hmm. uh, along the Hudson River. Okay. And so a lot of our communities are on one side or the other of the river. And there's a couple of bridges and you have to kind of, you know, so I grew up across what's called the Rip Van Winkle Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Rip Van Winkle is that the Washington Irving story of the have you heard of that story, Rip Van Winkle? Anyway, I know the name. Irving was from around here, so he wrote these stories of the headless horsemen and the different oh, stories. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, like the Halloween yeah. stories and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, well, Rip Van Winkle was like he was said to have gone. He was a a man, and he's said to have gone into the Catskill Mountains, and then he fell asleep for a hundred years. And when he wakes up, what he witnesses. So the bridge is named that. So if you drive over that bridge, you come to what's called Green County, and Green okay. County is where I grew up in a little village, which was called Southwesterlo. And Southwesterlo was, Southwesterlo was and is in a place that um, a lot of people used to come and leave New York City. Mm. And they would leave New York City in the summertime. And as a result, <laughs> <laughs> I just heard this recently, the area is called the Borscht Belt. So, uh, you know, New York is like- Say that again, what is it? Borscht Belt. Borscht Belt. <laughs> Yeah, so like um, my family is Jewish uh-huh. and uh, my dad's like a Catholic, but my both of my my mom and my stepmom are Jewish and my stepdad was Jewish. But so but a lot of the people that left New York City were Jews and they would come up to the Catskills and they would go to these things which were called resorts mm-hmm. and resorts are these like boarding houses. And in the boarding houses, you would like 
it was kind of like an all-inclusive vacation and you would like play shuffleboard and people, when I, people are like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, did you ever see the movie Dirty Dancing? Yeah. 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 So in the movie Dirty Dancing, they go to a resort in the Catskills. So oh. in the first <laughs> Now, now, now this area is called the Bajan Belt, and I'll tell you why that is okay, later. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I grew up there, and by the 1970s, like people didn't really leave New York City and go up to the Catskills anymore. It fell out of fashion. So okay. there's all these boarding houses, which turned out to make fantastic ashrams. Yeah. Okay. Because so, they had a dining hall and yep. rooms for all the people, and they yep. turned like the ballroom into meditation hall and different right, things like right, that. Yeah. Retreat centers. <laughs> yeah, they were basically retreat centers. So yeah. the, the one that was one of the ones that was by my house was was purchased by the disciples of Vivekananda. Okay. And so I like as a little kid, so it must have been I was seven. So 19, now you're gonna how old I am. So 1979. I would ride my bike up there and I would take music lessons from one of the women at the yeah. ashram. So I had this like and then one of the sort of wealthier ashram ladies bought a house. So she lived separately, and I used to roller skate in her driveway she had one of the only paved driveways and you could see the picture of the universal form of krishna through the window in her house and i would roller skate by like having darshan of this picture and i thought i just to me it was like then i i would ask questions you know and it was my mom was kind of like friends with the people because she was a hippie and they were hippies and she wasn't like super and you know she wasn't like a full ashram person but i i kind of when I, once i heard that god could be like a a, a kid Mm. where that played yeah i thought yeah. that makes just more sense to me because god the father the the punitive like yeah. judeo christian god was like it just didn't make any sense to me at all i just couldn't i couldn't understand it and that, that made sense to me yep and um then the woman gave me these comic books of the Mahabharata and, and these krishna stories so i had some like exposure to that like as a kid and how old were you I was seven, seven, eight, okay. nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. Then, so your mind's just like, Phew. and the, the Krishna yeah. art is so beautiful too. Like they really, it's like, it's really cool. Is it baby Gopal? Is that, is that the, um, what is Krishna's name? when? That's the Krishna's name when he's a baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Gopal, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So I saw, but this was the universal form of Krishna. Like, like some people know it, like the cover of the Jimi Hendrix record, where it's like all the different faces of, yeah. of God. And it was like, but I saw this Krishna art. And then they also, they also like incorporated, uh, like they, they incorporated basically every religion. And then I thought, oh, that makes sense. Why mm -hmm. are, why would people fight about religion or, you know, um, and also like, cause, cause, cause of where I grew up, it was like, you know, mostly it was like Christian kids. I would try to go to the Catholic church with my friend. I just wanted some type of yeah. spirituality. I would be like, can I go to church with Amy? Really? So that I young? Like, I just was into it. I liked cool. the Yeah, I just like, I just liked it. I like the, the ritualism as well. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so I grew up here. And then when my mom, when I was 14, we moved literally like just maybe 10 miles from where I'm sitting right now, south of Albany on the east side of the Hudson River. And I started to go to the Waldorf school. Okay. And, but back in Greene County, my I had made friends with a girl named Mara Cantarella. And I like to give her, I like to give her props. Yeah, give shout outs. She was from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a she did have a summer house. And she was like, she's, I think she's five years older than me. So 
or maybe she, yeah, she's five years older than me. So when I met her when I was like eight and she was like 14. So she was so cool. And she was yeah. from Brooklyn and it was already like new wave was hitting. And she was like, she got me into like the tubes and the clash. Oh, and cool. So there's your music. So I had like some, some like introduction to the music all while I was, you know, before, like before I was 10 years old. And wow. she was the one that took me to CBGBs for the first time. And I oh, think really? I was 11 or 12. I was, I was one of those 12 year old girls that like looks like they're 16. It was like actually embarrassing at school. <laughs> I really grown, like I was the size I am now pretty much, but it was awesome. Cause she, she 12 years old going to CBGBs. I was 12. Yeah. That yeah. She, so cool. Yeah. So she, and she, then she, the, well, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was <laughs> the worst part was she brought me to dance which was like a club. But I got in, like they let me in. So I actually like she put on makeup and like dressed me up really punk rock. And I because I was like pretty innocent from upstate New York, you know, and she's from New York City. And she had a friend who was named Michelle Skorka. They're still friends. We're all still friends. And she's actually in the books. I think she's she's in the book, um, the matinee, which she's actually photographed in that book. So I I just got it recently. Michelle. So cool. So they were just, it's such a random has, you know, random things have to come together, you know, for that to happen. Cause she could have lived one house over. I would have never met her, but you had to drive down, basically down my driveway to get to her house, which is behind my house in this field. So, um, so then, yeah. So then. What what was that? What was I'm curious. What was that show? What was that first show at CBGB's? So I didn't go all the way in, but I think Michelle was, it was. Michelle was working at the door or something. I can't remember the exact circumstance. I got I really want to fact check this with Mara, but <laughs> I believe that it was it was the the BC Boys, but as a hardcore band. And oh Reagan yeah, Poly, what is so it was like Stew? I wasn't aware. Yeah, it, it was nineteen eighty four. Wow. It was nineteen eighty four. So it could be that could be right, and that's how I remember it. But that could be an urban legend. But I think that's right. And I'll let's just say we're, we're just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Well, but I'm pretty sure. So you heard then, it here first. <laughs> then, the, well, the second show I went to was Black Flag, and that was oh, a, that was nineteen eighty six. And the thing was, I kind of like I visited Mara in New York City and then she got me into this. And then I started to like listen to like, oh, she would make me all this mixtapes, you know, how yeah. people used to make mixtapes. Those are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like and then I somehow I, I knew who Black Flag was and like suicidal tendencies mm-hmm. and like the dead Kennedys and stuff. And I was like super attracted to punk, but so it was hard. West to, like, Coast. You're, you're, into some, you're in some West Coast stuff. Yeah. Well, it was like. But then we were like, no, the dead Kennedys are sellouts. <laughs> <laughs> How are they sellouts? I don't know, because they sold 10 records or something. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember why, but then I remember that looks like the dead Kennedys. There's a lot of virtue signaling all the time. The hardcore, yeah, hardcore for sure. For and I was sure. into it. You know, I was like, I wanted to show my my hardcoreness. Yeah, of course. And yeah. So then I, I I grew up and then I moved, you know, here to this side of the river. And I went to Waldorf school where it was like, just like great because yeah. it was like a breath of fresh air and all cool art yeah. kids and yeah. all these European kids. I'd never met anyone that had like flown, you know, flown to Europe before because I was pretty sheltered and I was pretty sheltered upstate New York in the 70s. I mean, although when I describe it, it sounds like all this interesting stuff was happening, but I was basically like in public school and I was like trying to slog through, but I like shaved my head yeah. and everyone <laughs> called me Fraser head and all this stuff. Really? Yeah. So when I got to so fucking mean. 
That's so funny. I went, then I got to a Waldorf school. It was like the kids liked me and I was yeah. like, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And I saw one of the kids from the, what was going to be my new school, like at the black flag show. And oh, I was really? like, Oh my God, they're into these kids are into hardcore. So then, yeah. And then I got, I got into high school and then I started to go, you know, I, after that black flag, black flag show, you just like meet everybody. Yeah. And then I just kept going every yeah. week. Well, and that's how the scene was, right? It was like, yeah. you just, it was only, yeah, but just really like, oh, my people, boom. Yeah, it was like no. all my people. And then it was like little flyers, paper flyers. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, you knew where the next one was. You went You're to that one. one. You knew where the next one was. And I pretty much once I went, I never stopped. Yeah. I, after I had gone to that first, very first, um, you know, show i was like i was in You're i was, I was committed <laughs> did you have were you ever uh did you ever struggle with addiction or anything like that i ask because i i'm in recovery yeah. and so a lot of my stuff is uh you know so i always ask and you don't have to share if you don't want to <laughs> no no i can share i mean no i mean what was interesting for me was um the this the albany scene which is like sort of where i got albany is the close city that's you know the city that where equal vision is we have a mm -hmm. we have a little house up there too um so that scene was heavily already straight edge okay okay yeah so like what happened for me was i i was really you know there were a lot of people in my in my family that had addiction problems so it was like such a relief that I didn't have to go that route yeah, and I could be cool. Yeah. So it was like, it's so hard as a teenager, you want to fit in. And so much of high school is yeah. that. And I mean, I definitely got flack in my high school. Like there was some party that of course I didn't even know existed. And then yeah. like the kids got like turned in for it and they just blamed me. And I was like, oh, I shit. Didn't you're the narc. You're the straight edge narc. <laughs> I was able to like just kind of hook in with this group mm. you know like we're not far so far from like the anthrax which is where like youth of today would play okay. and we were yeah. so you know there was already like I was really into minor threat and once yeah. I heard about that I was like you know what that's what I'd rather do I'd rather skip all the addiction stuff and just totally bypass that that is so cool and i was and so I cool was, you had that discernment you know that yeah because knowing that your family had passed and then you're offered and are not offered but turned on to the straight edge scene and just for the um the people that are listening that don't know what straight edge is can you um just a little description of what straight edge yeah well it was funny because when i was in in like the the year between eighth and ninth grade i guess i got Maybe it was between ninth and tenth. I went to Boston with a woman, a, a girl at the time. Her name was Mary, and Mary's mom worked at the Ann Wigmore Foundation, which is like the wheatgrass juice lady. But I, I didn't know. But I was like, <laughs> oh, I can be in Boston. <laughs> I can go see shows. So yeah. I got to go there for like a couple weeks, and I had to like clean the Ann Wigmore Foundation. But then I could get on the bus and go to like, um, to like Harvard Square, and there was a Newberry Comics, and I bought a shirt. Mm. I bought a Minor Threat shirt, which I realize now is kind of dorky. A Newberry <laughs> Comics, and it said "Straight Edge is not a," you know, it was basically a description of Straight Edge, and it mm -hmm. was like it's it's not a it's not a set of rules. It's a mm -hmm. it's an internal movement yeah. where you don't drink and you don't smoke, and 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 it was basically like you got to abstain from you know kind of random promiscuous sex which i think was probably not going to be a thing i ever did <laughs> um but it was like i'd be like i'm straight edge you know you had like yeah, yeah, you had yeah. like a 
you had like a principled reason mm-hmm. that you could you could hold up as a parameter to like the pressures of teenage life. So yeah, when yeah. people were like, Hey man, you want a beer? I'd be like, I'm straight edge. You know yeah, what I mean? It was, yeah. it was a badge of honor for sure. It was a badge of honor. And then people would be like, Oh, that's so cool. I wish yeah. I could be straight edge all the time. Ooh. But the thing was the people, the people in my family that, you know, my had some older brothers and uh, they, they were straight edge for a while. And when they weren't, they went so super hardcore into addiction yeah. mm-hmm. and even have a younger brother who died of alcohol poisoning, who had mm-hmm. for a time been straight edge. So when people left it, it really, it was really yeah. like a path to, for him, it was a path to leaving his body. But even yeah. for my other brothers, it was like a path to real, like rough time so for me and i influenced my younger siblings i was like don't do it so they actually are straight edge too and like even as adults there's like this weird pressure to drink wine and i'm like should i do that and i'm like no i can't well that's the thing and i I, so do you feel like this kind of do you feel like your spiritual path helped you in that like because i feel like you know um my spiritual path my my uh meditation mindfulness meditation is such a key part of my recovery, you know, no matter what program I'm doing or not doing my own practice, you know? And so I saw that too, when people fell off straight edge, they just fell off because there was no foundation. It was just a badge, a badge of honor, really. Right. Yeah. Well, I think what happened for a lot of us, and it's funny um, because I did these interviews of different people from the scene, from the, the hardcore scene who became spiritual teachers And it was like, I had to really deeply think about why is it that so many of us got into Buddhist meditation or got into Christian consciousness or got into like whatever different paths that we've gotten into. And there's a lot of us. And it's because hardcore music and punk music is the first noble truth. Ah. And it does it for years. Suffering. Suffering. Yeah. Right about suffering you play music that's suffering you're yeah. suffering you're like beating each other up and to, in the name of dancing it's a normalizer and, like we all suffer yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're and you're and you're honest about it because you're you've mm-hmm. you've understood that the material world is not going to make you happy you know right. that yeah. and that's what hardcore is about but then after you do that for a while and, you know, straight edge has a, I, I think, you know, cause I was a girl, I never got like fully yeah. integrated in the, in the straight edge scene. Well, of I, that wanna, era. I wanna it talk about that too, but this guy oriented. Yeah. So it was more, I think for me, it was an advantage cause it was more internal in some sure, ways. Like sure, I sure. couldn't, you know, I couldn't be one of the bros. You I weren't broing down. Yeah. But I so. couldn't. You know, so it was <laughs> very like internal for me. I didn't get any badge for that. It did give me like a, um, it did give me a way to like, to, to not have to do those teenager things and still be part of something but it so but anyway so this the thing is you can't just do the first noble truth forever because Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be the like you know that's supposed to be the toehold into the spiritual spiritual life so in 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 the gita it says sarvam dukam which is the same thing thing. but so later though later though if you keep reading if you get if you slog through it and keep reading actually actually everything with the correct vision, with the correct lens is, is spiritual, can be spiritualized and can yeah. be part of your spiritual path. Yep. So I think a lot of us, you know, we kind of got fed up with just hanging out in the Sarvam Dukkam and the life is suffering yep. part of spiritual life. Like how long can you do that? And especially for me, I started to think I wanted to do music that was more musical or I, 
sure. You know, just different things like that. So I think for me, it is, it was something that helped me maintain mm-hmm. that because it was, it went much deeper. And then also for me, of course, it became my entire community. So yeah. the, the Krishna kids. Well, yeah, that's the, the people I'm friends with to this day. And then, the, and then also all the people kind of around us and intermingled with us, you know, like my still, my people that I still hang out with are like, Craig Satari and like Mike Judge and like wow that's so fucking cool. They're like, (laughs) or you know, um, uh, my friends are primarily from the hardcore scene to this day. Like now we're all like grown ups and we like. (laughs) I just have to tell this story because it's just too hilarious. Yeah, yeah, please. I just set it up. (laughs) We did a we did a show in Boston, which was a benefit. One away at the House of Blues for this. For this guy Stu, who was in the band oh, Bane, and he yep. left his body. Okay. But everyone was there. It was like Toby and Moon yep. were there. Yeah. Toby from H two O, which yep. which is a hardcore band, and all yep. those guys. And then I was there, and then it was a uh, some Al from the Dropkick Murphys, and the Sick of It All guys were there, who I've known literally, you know, the entire time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and. I, and there were, it was, the House of Blues is beautiful and it's like mm. way better, nicer than any club I've played probably. And yeah. there were three dressing rooms and they had this nice vegan meal and everyone was like quietly talking because we're grownups. Everyone's, yeah. And, yeah. The, and I went from room to room and I was like, I'm going I'm to leave this dressing room because all the men are talking about their colonoscopies. <laughs> yeah. And I went to the next room, same thing. Yeah. One more room, same thing. Same Three thing. rooms. I was like, <laughs> old, okay, dudes. old dudes, come on. <laughs> so I, 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 I was, I was talking to Walter, who's in the mm-hmm. singer Quicksand, and I was telling mm-hmm. him this story because Quicksand played in Albany. He goes, "Oh yeah, I basically pin every person down and tell them to get a colonoscopy." Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, we've really grown up together now." Yeah. We're like, some people are starting to be grandparents and this and that. Yeah. So, you know, so that cool though. What a fucking cool thing. Cool. Are, yeah. Your people. Is, yeah. Really the hardcore scene. I love that. And so, so you going back a little bit, how did, you know, one away come about for you? How did you, um, how did you get into playing music? Maybe, maybe not even one away. Cause I know that um, I was listening to an interview you were doing with uh, Raganoff and uh, you talked about a band called growing up skipper. And yeah. I just want to know how how you got into playing music, how that transition go, and then how did it go into uh, 108? Well, I think, like, so, so the first band I was in was, like, I was 14, and I sang for this band called Last Action. Oh, the thing about punk Were they a straight-edge band? They this, were. This sounds like they, a, a straight-edge band. It wasn't really, like, we only played one show, but we did play with <laughs> Underdog. <laughs> so everybody was pretending to be straight edge if they sure. weren't straight edge at that right, time yeah, it was yeah. like so much of a, a thrust of like what was happening but basically so i if once you were into punk at that time like yeah. in the mid 80s then you were in a band yeah. like there wasn't a like if you were if you went to shows then you picked up an instrument it was yeah. like so except a lot of girls didn't but i just didn't yeah i didn't i just decided to do it anyway so so for that band though i sang okay <laughs> there's there's actually some pictures. There's some pretty funny. Yeah, is it, is there footage? So androgynous, like to, like a shaved head and like singing. You know, sang for my one show. Actually, <laughs> what's what's hilarious is my husband, my now husband's band played. Oh shit! <laughs> and you did, oh, did you know God. him back then? I did. Yeah. I knew him. I've known him since I was fourteen. So oh, oh my god! And he goes. So- 
Fucking How did you guys like Kate? She's hot, but I knew he was saying that sarcastically. I was like, yeah, so not hot. <laughs> I wasn't doing my performative gender yeah. performance at all. I was like, I didn't know anything about, you know, gender studies or anything, but all the girls were just like, we were so androgynous that people used to be like, are those boys or girls? I love so, that. Um, that so cool. Yeah, totally. Like we, you know, we, we rocked this completely androgynous look. Beautiful. So, um, so then after that, then there was, I just was like, I want to play in more bands and I learned to play guitar. Like everybody at my high school was like insanely musical. So like we would all sit around and play guitar. So then I started to play, I started, I started to play bass actually. And I mm-hmm. played bass in a band called All Fall Down, which was like kind of like a power pop band. Yeah in Albany. And then when I went to college, I played in a band called growing up skipper, which was like yeah. a proto riot girl band was nice. And that was with, uh, uh, somebody from the West coast, which is called Jane from the yeasty girls. Did you ever know about the yeasty oh, girls? Yeah. I remember the yeasty girls. I do. Yeah. yeah. So Jane was living in New York and we started this band. And then I did another, I recorded another record with Lars who was in judge and like, okay. um, and that was just, that was, I, we recorded and we played, but it was like, then I joined the Krishnas and then it right. was like, and, and the, so you joined the Krishna, did you join the Krishna, uh, the Krishnas before one away? I did. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. basically like this, so I, like I knew Steve, my husband and, and Ray and I, after a show, they were like, had joined the temple kind of. And then after a show at CBGB's, I was staying in Brooklyn near the temple with my friend Mara, mm-hmm. the same one that had a house upstate. Yeah. And then they were going to drive to Albany. So I got a, I went to the temple to meet them to get a ride home. Mm-hmm. And they just like were brand new. And they just like preached everything they knew. They said all they, of it on uh, that yeah, ride yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, that's race thing. And that's I, that Roganoff's thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd heard about, I'd heard about, um, I had heard about the Bhagavad Gita because mm-hmm. at my school, at my high school, we were studying the American Transcendentalists, which is Henry David Thoreau. Okay. And Thoreau spoke about the Gita. Mm-hmm. So I'd heard of it. And then when they talked about it, I wanted to be cool, you know, because it was like, you know, <laughs> these cool older guys. So I was like, oh, I know the Bhagavad Gita. You know, like, I know that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So then, and then they told me all about, you know, chanting and this mm-hmm. and that. And I was kind of attracted to it, actually. But then basically the, they became brahmacharis and moved into the ashram. So I, yeah. I kind of lost touch with them. And then in Albany, there was a bit of a like, and you know, they kind of got into the the, the scene always like kind of shifts. So the scene shifted toward sort of East Bay anti-religion punk rock. And I was yeah. like, oh, now I have to do this. And then, then when I got to New York City, um somehow oh I know what it was I it's actually kind of a pivotal thing I went the summer between freshman and sophomore year of high of college I went to Lollapalooza okay and it was the same moment when my husband was like kind of having like a moment of a crisis of faith and he was also at Lollapalooza so many. and I bumped into him wow this, you know, it was just meant to be with people. you Steve was your is your husband yeah, yeah yeah Steve yeah so just meant to be it was meant to be so then he kind of, I went back to the city and he, he, I, I met him at the temple. I went to the temple with him and I was like, I love it. You know, and it was yeah. just like the philosophy, just like, you know, as much as, as hardcore, like takes you out of the material world to some degree, it, it says, mm-hmm. 
you're rejecting everything that's like American society values. You're like, I reject these values. I, you kind of reject capitalism. You reject all these different things, but you don't have anything to fill that in with. You're still kind of empty. So, and I just happen to love chanting. Like I, when I walked into the Mm -hmm. temple and I heard the sound of chanting, Mm -hmm. I just loved it. And then, you know, then there's the thing that everyone loves, which is free food. Yeah. Sad. So they fed us. So we were like all, this, all these hardcore kids from New York. We'd go to the temple and get free food. It was just well, like yeah. that was you. You do. Um, I think it's Son of Nada. Is that is that the song that you do? You Son do the chant. What yeah. is it? Say it, say it right. I definitely saw it, said it wrong. What was it? It's Nanda. Like Nanda. Nanda, Son, Nanda is Krishna's father. Son of okay. Nanda. Yeah. You. Yeah. Uh, you. So on that song on the One Away record, I think it's the second record. I remember already being in a one away. And then when I heard that, me and my brother were just like, every time that we were just like, try to sing it with you. It was just like, it was so beautiful. I just, it was so cool. And you're right. The chanting, like going into temple, when I would go into temple, it was just like, it was so intimidating, but it was so cool. It's like, you just want to get into it with them. And just yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's really, chanting is a really good form of meditation. I like that a lot. Do you know what that song means? That little part no, of the song. No, I want. Yeah, I want to know what it means too. Yeah, it's 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 really good. It says yeah. it says I will become fearless by taking shelter of the lotus feet of the son of Nanda. Oh, that is beautiful. So good, right? So good. Abaya means fearless. fearless. I will become fearless, and I was like so so attractive. You know that even just that one. It's from a beautiful bhajan that. Mm. Um, it's also that that abajan is like a spiritual song. It's a, there, so there's kirtan, which is like call and response, usually just like sure. one name. Yeah. And then I'm sure they have the same thing. I, I think in Tibetan Buddhism, and I've done some chanting with Toko Shurdor and like yeah. for his different. Yeah, the t- Tibetan, they have a lot of the, the chanting stuff. There is some kind of, there is, uh, you know, in the Theravadan tradition, there's chanting, but there's not a yeah. lot of call and response there's a little bit with that no, we, would, we chanted it together more but we did yeah. we did turn some of it into call and response more like taking a little bit from kirtan because he's yeah. really friends with krishna das maybe i don't know it's i never asked him why i just did it with him i never asked cool. him. Yeah, yeah but yeah so so we um yeah so but bhajans are like poetry set mm-hmm. to music so that that and that's what that is Amanda comes from from a an exact poem by Bhakti Vinotakor, who was this amazing uh, Bhakti poet. He was also uh, he was also educated during the British Raj, and he had like thirteen children. And he would come home. He was a he worked in the court. He was a judge, and he would come home and compose all this like mind blowing, incredible poetry. And that that song for us was like. You know, we we were kind of cautioned not to be esoteric. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but the one the shelter guys were like, fine, we're jocks. We'll yeah. sing about, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll sing about we love prashadam or whatever. Yeah. I don't um don't like advertising, but we were like then that when, once they said to our group, we were like the art nerds of the temple. So once they said to us, don't get into esoterica, we're like, where's the esoterica books? Where are those books? Yeah. We like it was like with it had the opposite effect. Well, that was the difference between, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, I probably would have been with the jocks Yeah. (laughs) because I was a girl. I got, I got pushed to the art nerd side, but I'm really glad for that actually in the end. 
yeah, 108 was like, oh shit, these are devotees. You know, I I knew that Shelter was, but there was kind of a little bit more of a, in the beginning there, I feel like they're a little bit more like that. But uh, 108 is like, you guys, I don't know that your message and everything was just like, yeah. We just didn't shy away from like- No, like- Like now looking back, I'm like, how did we get those deepest teachings into this, into hardcore music? It so seems like impossible, but it was it was really Fred Kishore who was yeah. the mastermind behind that. You know, yeah. I can't, I can't. I mean, he he. That's Vic Vic Takara, who Vic was Dekara, yeah. you know, he Vic. was inside out, and he yep. just this beyond brilliant writer. But yeah. he also was naturally drawn toward esoterica and like mastered you know the Sanskrit alphabet like yeah. in a weekend, and like he's just like this brilliant guy and. He basically took all of these very esoteric themes from, you know, that you might you might enter into after a long period of sadhana and turn them into 108 songs. Yeah. And, and the result of that was two things. One is that it gave me some freedom. I just, you know, I think we just decided it was easier to be forgiven than to get permission. So we just kind of like totally went for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and it was just more true to who we were. Yeah. So the, 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 the sort of style and flavor of the right. those two very different bands really reflect yeah. who was in them. And that's true now. I just want to uh, be mindful of time. Are, are you, oh, yeah, yeah. Cool? you how, how much more time do you have? I have the entire day. Okay, let's party. <laughs> so, we're partying. Okay, I'm not going to keep you that yeah, long. We can, I don't have anything not, on Fridays. Cool, cool. We're chilling then. But uh, you know, you don't want to, like, you don't want people to be like, oh. No, I, it might be like two or three episodes. <laughs> but this is good. I'm so, I'm so stoked on this. Um, but I forgot the question now that I wanted to ask you. Uh, we were talking about Esoterica and Son of Nanda in the, in the 108 song. Oh, the yeah. Bajan. The, that little piece, we just like put it into the we put it into this like hardcore song and it's like, it, it, it held up, it worked, you know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of experimental, but if you ever do go to like, sometimes if you go to a Kirtan and I hope some people will go to Kirtans that hear this and just try them out and you can go, there's all different ones. You can, it doesn't have to be at a Hare Krishna temple. They have this like hardcore element where everyone's really just like, yeah, there's like almost a breakdown, like, dun, 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 and all of a sudden it just breaks down too. There's like, yeah, yeah, yeah there's like, a chorus. Yeah, it's a full part of the kirtan. <laughs> Chanting is like a chorus all the time with a breakdown. <laughs> it's like super cool. It is. And it's, you know, if you were to go, I've been now to like, there's a, a, a Sufi, a Sufi center near our house. Uh-huh. And I went to see this. There's this amazing Sufi band called Fanafiala. Do you know Fanafiala? No, I should. Well, be. first of all, their name means annihilation oh into God. Allah. Like, oh so who God. doesn't want to hear that? You're yeah. like, yes. So, but they just like play, and there's like there's like a circle of them, and it's a girl drummer, and she's like, she's a fucking badass. And then they just they're they're they start to sing, and it's just like. I, they have like the the guys, some of the guys in the band, they just clap. But when they clap, it's like the most like, wow. <laughs> devotional like, clap ever. Are they it's a hardcore so band good. or you just have a to regular see it. band? It's literally like we talk about, we're like, how do they clap like that? It's so good. <laughs> but it, what's great is everyone's dancing. Everyone's going crazy yeah. and dancing. And then people just start to like go onto the stage like a hardcore show. But in this tradition, they throw money at the band. Oh, no shit. Yeah, so people just go up and you just like throw money at the band and then you like dance off the stage. It's like 
it's all but it's everything but stage diving essentially it's like it's i was so like cool. this is this is hardcore music this is hardcore <laughs> but it's for for it's a sufi version but i realized that there is some kind of thing in hardcore and where you are your mind is empty yeah when you're in when you're watching a band yeah and you're dancing in the pit or whatever which i don't really do especially especially as a mother of three and i wear clogs but um i've been you know i was more of a stage potato to be honest but still you're like in it it's like deafening and i am deaf it's like deafening and it's like full-on and you're completely and totally situated exactly in that moment Mm -hmm. you're in the moment and there's nothing else there's nothing but that exact time and space which I don't know a better definition for meditation. So it, it everything's so fast and it's loud and the lyrics, it's really, you feel it. Like we said, yeah. it's like the sing along that just like get you in and the breakdowns, like you're feeling this whole thing. You're not, if you don't know the lyrics, you're not really understanding the lyrics of a, a punk band, you know, no, but, but you're just, you're having this like totally immersive experience. Exactly. That, exactly. And for me, and I don't super know. Super spiritual. <laughs> yeah, it was super spiritual. It was super cathartic. And also my mind was empty. Mind was empty. My mind was empty for that time. It was yeah. like a relief. It yeah. was almost like a, in a strange way. So when I got into Kirtan, I was like, it was familiar to me somehow. Yeah. Everyone. And also everyone's fully full on you know it's like it's on 11 so i that about kirtan also made sense to me and kirtan is so foundational to our practice so that's yeah yeah. so what are you saying about son of nanda (laughs) yeah this is great you, you you answered it you wanted to know how i got into 108 well yeah so you were you were a devotee by by then when when you okay so maybe that i moved into the temple and then I lived in this farm, which was really weird because I went from New York City to this farm and I was like, oh my God, this is a lot, you know, and you're living this monastic life and waking up at four in the morning. And then a bunch of us went to India, which yeah. is actually also Raghunath and, you know, and my husband, we had like a bunch of- that whole crew? Whole crew went to oh, India. that is so fucking cool. Oh my God. And then we went, when we came I want back- to have, You said a story. I want I wanted to talk about the first time that you went to India by yourself, but let's hear your story first. Yeah. So then we, well, I went, so there's a great, there's actually a really great story, which also involves the band Sick of It All. Which yeah, is, well, that's what I want to hear because it's so yeah. fucking cool. Yeah. So it's like, so how does the universe line these things up? Yeah. So then when we came home, there was like shelter had started. And then it was like, you know, I played guitar in hardcore bands. And then yeah. like Vic had sort of branched off and was starting 108. And it just, it just made sense. Like, yeah. Why shouldn't I do it? And also, you know, it's just like I fit in with that crew. And then, um, you know, it was just like a different, it was a different crew, a little bit of a different crew. And it was like, that was my crew. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think actually Vic was on that first, they were, the boys were separated out from me. Like I didn't hang out with them because that's not what you did in India at that time. Yeah, yeah. So I had some some female friends from the temple and we traveled separately, but the the hilarious thing was we were all kind of in India at the same time. And um, I did, we did kind of break the rules a little. And I went to a place called Jagannath Puri. We were there for months. Mm. I went to this place called Jagannath Puri with with Purcell and and my husband, and we just kind of did our own adventure, which you kind of wasn't really recommended. But we were like, now we have to see Jagannath Puri is this most special and amazing site of pilgrimage site for people that are into Krishna. But 
Um, so I'm like, for a while, I was like sneaking to the temple because I was like, this is really weird. And then there was like, I lived on Sixth Street in New York and there was a place called Benny's Burritos and all the hardcore kids would eat there. And I would like try to not walk past it. And I'd be like in a sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but then I saw like Toby one night, you know, I'd see people. Like it was yeah. New York for whatever reason, you bump into people, even though there's yeah. like, you know, 14 million people. You... <laughs> so that, so we get up and we're um, uh, going to India for the first time and I'm wearing a sari and I'm with these other devotee girls and it was like, it was going to be my big breakout. <laughs> so funny. My breakout moment. I was going to wear a bindi. Like yeah, a yeah, dot yeah. on my forehead. You're I was going like, for it. You're in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I'm going to Vrindavan. It's the birthday of <laughs> All the Bhakti poets live there. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, going to wear the bindi. Yeah. So, so I get this. So they give me a bindi and it's like the size of a quarter. It's like so big. Nobody wears it that big except for like some And it was blue. It was this giant blue bindi. And I like, I put it on and they're okay. like, it looks so beautiful, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And we go to uh, John F. Kennedy airport in Queens and we, you know, go check our stuff in and, um, at this point, we would fly the cheapest flight. We were maybe we were flying like Aeroflot or something, and we're <laughs> fly to like Moscow and then fly. To, I, yeah, it's I, like I, really, four stops. It, it's before just like you ridiculous. Even, yeah, it was like ridiculous and like you know you could still like smoke on airplanes. Yeah. Like, but in the back, remember, like, oh, you smoke in the back. You're smoking like, in the back of the airplane. That's a smoking that sound. Makes sense. So we were like, you know, and I was in a sari with these other devotee girls, and we're walking through JFK, and we get to my gate, and the gate next to my <laughs> sick of it all. Oh my god! Like I'm trying so hard to like sneak up, but yeah. to their credit, to their credit. They just, they just all hugged me and they were super cool. And they're like, that's oh, you're cool, going dude. to India. That's so cool. They never, they weren't like, what are you doing? You're brainwashed. No, such cool. Dude. They were so cool. Yeah. And I was just like, people will still love me. This can be my path. I'm not going to become like a social misfit. And I, I will always be grateful to them because it was like this moment of being in my spiritual life where those, those guys. And you know what? It's interesting now. They all know so much. Yeah. They know so much about about like sacred texts. Like if you ask any of sacred those dudes, guys. they know yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah. And just so people know, the Sick of It All is like one of the most popular hardcore bands from way back then. They're like long lasting, and they so Sick of It All is like a really popular, awesome. Yeah, they were like they were popular. Hardcore. They are popular. Yeah, they they, they <laughs> sustained. You know, yeah. yeah, very unlikely, and they did it. So. Yeah. So at that same time, were you in 108? So then we came home and then 108 started after that first okay. pilgrimage to India. Okay. And that summer, that spring, so I guess it was like we came home. We went in January. We came home at the end of March. And that spring, it was like, why don't you be in 108? Actually, Steve was the one that was like, you should get Kate to play guitar. Yeah. And um, and it was like, you know, we're as hardcore bands do, we were like kind of sharing members and this sure. and that. And he also then, uh, Rab Fish was kind of getting into it. And we got him and, and Chris Daly from Resurrection, who's yeah. like actually really just one of the best drummers in hardcore and hardcore and beyond. And so we, you know, kind of formulated our our band. Which so you're, was, you're in it from the beginning then? I was in it from the beginning. So cool. Well, I guess there was one show that they played. Like, I guess like 
shelter played and one the 108 like opened for them and then after that I was in it and that was like before and it was like I think maybe Norm Norm um yeah. Norman Brannan who's yeah. now he plays on Thursday now and he was in shelter and then he went to be in shelter and then I played guitar in one of Texas as a reason too he was in Texas as yeah. a reason too yeah and he was one of my first friends at the temple he oh, lived in the Brooklyn temple oh. yeah he was into into Krishna consciousness like from the very beginning and I think he kind of got into it I don't think he even I don't think he got into it from shelter I think he just got into it from living in New York City really so so there were a couple people like that that were hardcore people like there's this woman Karuna Porta and she it's like a old old Boston skinhead but she got like prashadam on the street so she was like previous to the whole shelter thing entirely she was like she's she's the OG and there was like woman Gandharva and like there's just a few women actually that people just didn't know that were like previous to like the that actually kind of you know more in the Chromax era of yeah well yeah John Joseph really like kind of set it off and Harley so what was it like being a part of two heavily uh male driven male dominated scenes um within the hardcore scene the Krishna scene um I'm curious I want to hear your perspective Especially since you know you're a woman and you studied feminist history, literature, yeah, 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 literature, yeah. You know, all religions are just so male-driven. Even the Buddhist religion. When I, I I go to Thailand once in a while and sit with the monks, and the last time we went, went and the woman monk had to sit lower, and she actually was she was a part of the temple longer than any of the dudes that were sitting higher. And it was just like, what the fuck? And it, I don't know, man, it, it turned me off a little bit, but I mean, well, still love. but so I just want to hear your experience, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, well, it's funny. Cause we were, I was, I taught yoga for Bob Thurman. Do you know, Bob Thurman, he's a meditation. He's a, I don't think so. Robert Thurman. He was, he's a Sanskrit scholar and the, the, okay. the, the, the professor of Tibetan Buddhism at Columbia University and okay. also Uma Thurman's dad. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so he lives around here. Okay. <laughs> and Uma Thurman's it's a spiritual mom, mecca like, up there. Model, <laughs> yeah. Who was at one point married to Timothy Leary. It's so it's so what interesting. Yes, yeah, so, so crazy. That's super true. Crazy. <laughs> so um so he said in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they said no women in the monastery. And he's yeah. like, you know why? Because being a being a nun in the monastery was way easier than being a mother and a wife. So they knew as soon as they opened it up to women, uh, they would be filled. Uh, because you know all of these things that you hear about being in the monastic order, and it's like, oh, you can't eat when you want, and you have you can't sleep when you want, and you you have to always feed other people first, and all that. We, when I hear that, I'm like, sounds like being a mom. And totally, so, yeah. yeah, like. <laughs> Check. I did that, you know, Check. <laughs> yeah, got that. So, yeah, except in that, in that, in the case of the monastics, everything is every, everything's cleared for them. So like yeah. every, their food is made. And like, you know, if you're a Swami, your, your clothes is washed, your room is cleaned. Like, right. so you're a mom doing all the austerity of a monk. Plus you're cleaning up after everybody and you're cooking for people and you're like driving people to basketball practice and this and that. So yeah, I mean, it was, it's a problem. It's why, it's why I'm, I'm going to, I'm in graduate school studying anthropology now because I'm, I want to do an ethnographic study of 
women in ashram societies and and talk about, I mean, I just read this amazing book about um, the Pentecostal church specifically in New York city uh-huh. and how women basically run the entire church. Mm-hmm. All of the labor is done by them. Mm-hmm. All of the community is sustained by them. All of the food is maintained by them. One of the most famous Pentecostal ministers was a woman who did this like radio show in the 1950s, basically, and they get zero credit. Wow. And I, yeah. and, and it's, it's amazing. So you're, and I'm reading about it all over. It's not, it's not, it's not actually particular to hardcore and it's not actually particular to Krishna consciousness. There has not ever been, according to anthropological study, a matriarchal society. There no. are matrilineal societies where the no. bloodline has passed through women, but there has not been one in the world. So yeah. is it a surprise that that reflects into these ashram societies? The problem is, the problem is that there's concerted effort by the men in charge mm-hmm. to keep that patri- you mm-hmm. know, patriarchal subjugation of women alive and well. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be. It's mm-hmm. not helpful to them and it's not helpful to women. No. And the hardcore scene gets that now. And yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely see it. Women of the Pit jacket. Yes. So I'm Brent, you yeah. know about Women of the Pit? No, I do now. Totally cool now this this conglomeration of women called women of the pit and this amazing women started it and we have like our posse and we like meet at shows and it's so so, i'm like oh i waited for my whole life for women of pit to exist well you see see that now like it seems like the youth are really embracing you know um non-binary women you know, it's just coming into power you know and i really yeah. love that but and it feels to me like when i reflect on it because you know it's important for me to hear and you know women's experience female experience in the hardcore scene and i think for some of my listeners too but um it got so tokenized too back in the day like oh there's a female uh bass player or you know that's so cool it's you know it's like almost tokenized you know um, yeah well everybody thinks i play bass too because a yeah exactly yeah my wife plays bass i'm yeah. like thanks i don't play that in this band but thank you yeah. no you play an but, awesome uh, sg by the way <laughs> yeah but i i don't mind being mistaken for kim gordon no <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, women um, of the pit so, i love it I, I love it so yeah so so the hardcore scene has not put a concerted effort into maintaining male dominance at just the opposite i just played mm-hmm. this show and it was this it was bride riot and it was like i there was a girl and there was it was five bands i mean i just played a solo acoustic set other than the first band which by the way was fantastic called Hot Blood from New Jersey. Mm. All the other bands um, reaching out has a female front person. They all had women in the bands. And I was like, in the entire Shelter 108 tour, which was like 62 dates, there was one female in all of the bands combined. Yeah, exactly. So it has shifted. Um, Unfortunately, in ISKCON, which is the the, the variety of Krishna consciousness that I joined has not shifted enough it's there's some shift um but there's still a concerted effort and i think when people get into spiritual life what is something which is i I think this is true in buddhism too there's something called anartas Mm. you guys Mm -hmm. talk speak of anartas anartas are like 
leftover things that don't serve you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was yep. Like, yep. That actually they're like a knot in the heart. And so yep. when you start to strip away all of the things that might that might bolster your ego, and you know, both of these paths are trying to remove the ego. There's one thing left that they can semi-justify, which is um, basically a hierarchy where men are at the top. And and mm-hmm. if you study, if you if you go back and study how that became, how that came to be in terms of what in in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which isn't even all of Vaishnavism, because some of Vaish, some of Vaishnavism or some of the Bhakti traditions are totally goddess traditions. Yeah, yeah. But some of them are Shaiva traditions. But in this particular brand of Vaishnavism, so people that worship Vishnu or Krishna, mm-hmm. what happened was there was something called the British East India Company, and they were an imperialist yep. government in India. Yep. And they stole the books from the libraries. Yeah. And then they were they picked and choose mm-hmm. which or chose which ones got translated. Choose a chose. Good choose? good enough. Choose. Choose. <laughs> choose it. I you choose you. Choose it. <laughs> um, and they 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 picked and chose, which <laughs> to some degree got translated into English. Yep. And then those became canonized. They also took the caste system yep. and they pre pre-colonialism, the caste system was quite fluid. It was more mm-hmm. called Varnashram Dharma, which was mm-hmm. like you found your propensity and you lived in a harmonious society and people played different roles and it was mutually supportive. And they were like, ah, oh, that doesn't really work to support. Work, yeah. So yeah. what we're going to do is, yeah. and that, and then of course the Brahmins in, in India, like they wanted to gain proximity to the ruling class because they were sure. so oppressed. Sure. Sure. And so the texts, texts like the Manusmritis, which are very patriarchal mm-hmm. were like filtered to the top. Yeah. And the texts, like translations of like the naked poets, the naked female poets, guess what? The British were not like, oh, let's translate this esoteric not, no. poem by a woman who get it out of there. ripped all her clothes off and danced beneath the stars for God. Like they were like, oh, that's not going to work. Yeah. So then what happens is out of um, out of a lot of the teachings that we have and our, our teachings, quite honestly, come from that time period. Yeah. Yeah. You can trace how what some of the teachings, even like Bhaktivinoda Thakur's son, who's named Bhakti Siddhanta, what he's teaching is some of it's reactionary to the missionaries. Yeah. For instance, he called his temples the Godia Mat. Mat mm. means missionary. There's no there's no um primeval missionary thing happening in Hinduism. It doesn't exist no. until they have to push against the British. So, yeah. so a lot of the stuff we're getting is, is if you filter it through the, the historical lens, you, it, a lot of it makes more sense. And it's, of course, it's also more fun because you can blame the British. Like, oh, yeah, well, is, yeah, British and Christianity kind of really just, not, not <laughs> and that, dudes, dudes those really are, fuck. Those are, those are fair game. Those are free. But yeah. there's also, at the same time, as, as that was happening, there's someone named Max Mueller who was basically sent to Oxford. He's German. The Germans are have somewhat engaging with these Sanskrit texts, and they sort of basically decide because their language German is is cognate with Sanskrit, 
that Sanskrit must have come from German and they must be the Aryans, wow. obviously. Wow. So that, and then they, they put all this money and funding into promoting this concept. And because the Germans had so little, like they weren't very good at colonialism or the British were and the Dutch were really good at colonialism. And so the Germans contribution was this linguistic piece and they looked at they looked at these texts and they said, "Oh, Sanskrit's cognate with German. Look how these words line up." So therefore, we invented Sanskrit. It must have come from Europe and been mm-hmm. brought into India. Mm-hmm. And now, and obviously that's true. And there were there were people that were proto Brahmin um, Indian people called Aryans, and Aryan mm-hmm. means close to Vishnu. Okay. So or um, noble ones, mm-hmm. and so the Germans like took it and they were like this works for us. And then they like, you know, and then well, the Germans they, took fucking everything. They took you know, this, even the swastika, you know, it's like the swastika and swastika yeah. is the Sanskrit word, which means all auspicious. And yeah. 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 And um, so there's, so there's just like all of this history that, that yeah. did play into, does play into it. And unfortunately a lot of people, especially Western people that join the Hare Krishnas, they don't do a lot of, in my opinion, deep scholarship. You don't yeah. really have to. You no. can read the Bhagavad Gita and Prabhupada's purports and be hook, line, and sinker into being yeah. a Krishna devotee, but it doesn't allow you to understand the historical context. So if oh, you look yeah. at any of the old texts, I'm sure this is true of, of Mahayana Buddhism or Theravada yeah. Buddhism or Krishna consciousness or Christianity or Judaism, there's some patriarchal 100%. bullshit in there that we could do well to just get rid of now. It wouldn't it wouldn't take any of the essence out. It's 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 like minor verses, like the modern scripture. It's like minor verses. I have a theory. There's, uh, yeah. there's like eighteen thousand verses, and two of them mention this. Yeah. Like we could just look at them and go, "Oh, look at these verses that were translated in the nineteenth century," and we haven't really followed that. So I do think there's a tremendous shift in yeah in you the see movement. A shift? Yeah. It's just for me. For me, it just kind of like it didn't catch up. And somehow I wound up meeting all of these really like empowered women who were Beautiful. disciples of Siddhi Ma, who's mm. sort of Neem Karoli Baba's predecessor. And okay. I kind of like became part of the Neem team. And Neem like at, team. My own temple, <laughs> at my own temple, no one's asking me to teach. Yeah. I have never taught what a class fuck? at Iskand Temple, not what once. Fuck. Except that's not true. One time, Brej Kishore got me to teach a class. <laughs> and you're <laughs> so, so knowledgeable. Like, for like a week. And I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Now I really know. No, I've chanted in a temple, in an ISKCON temple, like uh-huh. twice. Wow. I just don't, and, you know, and there's, and, and, and you know, there's, there's a concerted effort to not allow women to have yeah. any position. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not angry anymore, but like, I just want to chant and like do like bhajans and bhakti stuff. So I just kind of now do it with Krishna Das because yeah. he invites me. Yeah. So I want, I want to go where I'm wanted, you know, like I tried, it almost became like a, a weird abusive codependent. Like, yeah. Yeah. Where I was like, please don't you like me if I just no. try a little harder. Fuck so that. I just kind of like, and I, I don't, but I'm not angry about it because yeah. it gave me so much. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds I, like you I, took it, you took your own, you, you made it your own, you know, took, yeah. you know, and did your research. of, And that's the kind of, there's a couple things that I was thinking about. I, I think about like one, men, dudes have just, they're afraid because they, we really know how powerful women are. 
you know, and it's like this, the patriarchy just is afraid to give any power to women because they know that the patriarchy will fucking crumble because women yeah. are so fucking powerful. That's my theory. I don't, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I, mean I, I saw that with myself, like, you know, like when, when the black lives matter movement and yeah. white feminism was being dismantled a little, I saw this like little thing in my heart go, no, we were doing our best. And then I realized like, it doesn't matter. We are benefiting from, Absolutely. we're benefiting from the, the, you know, cause Colonialism, as they say in anthropology, it's a structure. It's not an event. Yeah. Yes. So, so like to to really honestly say, like we're benefiting from that, and I think a little bit some of the Krishna boys they benefit from it because absolutely when they go to India, the red carpet is rolled out to yeah, them by absolutely. the swamis. Absolutely. No one's rolling the red carpet out to any of the women. Well, Maybe yeah. now I'm so abrasive, they're not going to roll the red carpet. <laughs> yeah. But well, I was I, like. I shouldn't be more I shouldn't <laughs> feel more empowered at at like a mad ball show but I do because those men um just you know those guys they're they're pretty they're pretty masculine you know yeah. they they do not I do not feel any type of subjugation or suppression I just feel supported and loved mm. and yeah. upheld and so you're you know, feeling it, feeling it more. Yeah, I feel like the hardcore scene has scene has more. achieved what we yeah. were hoping for. And looking back at it, I don't, I didn't really feel, I didn't feel repressed by by hardcore. Really, I I couldn't quite figure out why so few women right. didn't play instruments, and I still don't exactly know. But maybe yeah. now they do. So it must have right. just been. It must have just been sort of like not the, the time or something. I mean, I'm sure there was there was I mean, some women do. And I, so I, I'm speaking for myself. Some women do speak of, you know, how how masculine hardcore was. But now we're like we're dissolving the binary yeah. like so quickly now that I just think we're going to move away from that. And I just I don't feel it from the people that I'm I'm friends with, I don't feel like, I feel like they were always really supportive of me and anyone that saw me in bands, I, I did have a lot of internal fear around that because I'd be like the only girl doing stuff. And I did have the, but you always, you always have to figure the sound guys at shitty clubs <laughs> or weenies and probably, they're, they're kooks probably anyway, yeah. insecure. So they'd be like, no girlfriends in here. The band sound check oh thing. God. I'd be like, I'm in the band. Yeah, you fuck know? you. Well, the, the, yeah, I think the hardcore. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> fucking more of me in my monitor, goddammit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> more of me in the house. <laughs> in the house. I think the hardcore scene didn't have an intention of of the 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 broness, where I think religions and you know it's more intentional. It's you know, more intentional. I that's why that's, it's yeah that's why it's hard and like now I, I like you're saying um i see it in my kid you know dude is just like coming to their own non-binary just like i'm they them dad i'm like okay i try, I, I try to explain this in my in my grad school classes because all of the rest of the people are like 20 yeah 25 i'm like i'm like i'm gonna tell you something pretty much none of my friends kids subscribe to the binary like, and it's so punk it's, it's so like, fun. it's just like, they, they just don't, they all use they, or, yeah. you know, a few of them, uh, but, and if, if they, if they use she, he, she pronouns, they don't think anyone else should, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, and the, and the, the kids using they pronouns are fine with he, she, like, it's totally. like, it's like that has, 
this, this is the revolution of, yeah. of the modern world where they're like, and it's really interesting because it's like, will that just do away with hierarchy? Because once you, yeah. what I've, what I'm learning now, and I'm really, I'm doing this gender studies anthropology classes, how much, and I, I wasn't aware of this, how much concerted effort there is to maintain the binary. And that's why it's interesting that I said in the beginning that we all were, the, the girls in the punk scene were like totally androgynous because yeah. We kind of said no to the binary. We just yeah. didn't know what to call it or what it was named or anything. Yeah, back then you just yeah, you were just we didn't doing know. It. We were like, yeah. we're androgynous, yeah. like we're we're whatever. Like I, know. I, see, and then, and I, I see people still holding on though. They're like, oh well, what? It's just so confusing. It's like for who? You know, it's like it's so like even people my age and my in you know, they I grew up within the scene, you know, it's like I don't know, man. They don't see I see is so cool as this this anti-establishment, anti-hierarchy, like you said, patriarchy. Right. And well, just I think doing it I natural. Really, yeah. The other day I realized when I was I was listening to um, you know, and it's it's really interesting being in 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 grad school with people your kids' age. It's really good for you. It's really yeah. yeah. like, oh my God. Plus you have to be like really conscious of what you're saying. Yeah. But this I was like, I wrote a note in my notebook that said these kids are not at all, um, they're not feeling entitled. What no. they're doing, in no. fact, dismantling the concept that, you know, capitalism is the correct way. They're not saying, no. I deserve to not pay student loans because they are lazy. They actually see the bullshit and the, and the you know, the, the involvement of these crazy multinational banks. And that's why they don't think they should pay, repay their student loans because they know some rich guy is getting richer from it. They're seeing that. And so I was like, okay, I get it. You know, cause, and, and the other thing is we're so imprinted, you know, our generation is so imprinted with binary everything. Yeah. yeah. Anthropology started to, to take down the concept of, of gender binary in the 1930s. They were already yeah. writing about that. And so, like, I was like, oh, I thought this was like new, you know, because I mean, yeah. you're just ignorant to it. You just don't know. And it's it's hard when you're almost 50 to say, I'm really ignorant to what's happening in the world, especially well, if you're a punk rocker. You were like, no, I'm punk rocker. Yeah, especially, I mean, that's where, you know, it's like the fragility comes into, you know, my, yeah. my whiteness, my maleness. It's like, no, not me. I'm the super nice white guy. And it's like, you know, now <laughs> right, there's some hidden really, stuff. It's just fucking water I'm swimming in, bro. It's hard, you know. <laughs> so I'm waking up to it. Hard. And it's, I love, I love having this conversation with you. Cause like I said, like you're such a pivotal part of, you know, my personal history, you know? So just having this conversation with you is so cool. And I really appreciate you um, uh, sharing you. your well, knowledge. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, what I was going to say too, is, is you're saying going back, like, the binary thing was so made up even within you know our our practices with the buddhist practice krishna like look at the like even buddha how like um very feminine you know it's like has, how feminine oh, everyone always thinks he's painting krishna, krishna too yeah. yeah kuan yin like the story of kuan yin is like oh in some cultures it's a man and some it's a women it's like they it's like it's so the patriarchy was just wanting to hold the power. And I, I really feel I think there is something I'm not a Buddhist scholar or anything, but I think Buddha was quoted as saying or that um, the people that I, I'm going to say it wrong. But um, once you say I don't want to say it wrong, you get to just say what you're thinking. I'm going to say it wrong. OK, I'm going to say it wrong. But those who I embrace 
both feminine, masculine equally are the most liberated beings are closest to yeah. liberation, you know? Um, and I love that. I think it's, you well, know, because I, I didn't want to be, I'm super sensitive, you know, I'm a super sensitive yeah. guy and I had, I had to be the tough guy, you know, and it fucking fucked me up, you know, it led me to addiction, all kinds of stuff. But once I started my practice of meditation and mindfulness and really getting into something that was real, um, I let all that armor fall and like see that sensitive kid. I'm like, oh shit, super sensitive, super, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Right. And even, even that, you know, being sensitive was considered to be like 100%. a negative rather than a positive, you know, 100%. all those different sort of culturally accepted ways of being. I mean, uh-huh. and, and, and what I love, what I love is, you know, it's interesting growing up and really becoming an adult and becoming an older adult with all of the same people that I grew up with and just seeing that there's this like progress and the, and you know, open-mindedness that didn't go away and people are still embracing what's what's to come. And there's still just so much incredible love between yeah. the people from from my youth. Like it's I, I find it to be amazing. And we we've shifted too. I mean we didn't know we just a lot of stuff we just didn't know, you know. Yeah. 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 It is the punk rockers that have been pivotal in a lot of the shift within the societies or opening up to other versions of sure. it or people finding their way into Buddhism, even if they got into, you know, there's a lot of people that are into Buddhism that, that were into shelter and one away. Yeah. It wasn't like what we were talking about particularly, but, um, but ultimately shouldn't it not matter? <laughs> it should not matter. And it, it, it all came like, for me, that's why I was saying it kind of opened the door to, Oh, like all of it, you know, you know, the Eastern philosophy and, you know, Buddhism came from, from India. I mean, for me, the Buddhist piece came like later because I feel like Christian consciousness dealt so much with um, all of this, like, you know, worship of the divine or relationship with the divine and all of this, but it didn't do super well in, in dealing with the mind. Yeah. There's things in the Gita that say, you know, the mind can be the best of friends, but the, or the worst of enemies, but it doesn't tell you what to, how to do. How to train the mind. And that's what I love about Buddhism. And it really helped train me with the mind. Yeah. It's like have a different relationship with the mind. You know, the mind's not a bad thing. It's having a different relationship to the thoughts, to the emotions. It's turning towards, you know, um, that's what yeah. really a powerful tool for me with recovery and just discovery of, you know, true self, you know, I, I think for me, um, yeah. And, and Buddhism does that super beautifully. And so a lot yeah. of us have taken on those practices and those practices have then enhanced our bhakti practices because yeah. if the mind is too disturbed, I mean, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> have fun. Meditation yeah. at all. I mean, so for me, um, finding out about and studying some Buddhist practices and and. You know, in in the yoga in the yoga world, a lot of people don't even make any separation, and that's yeah. not totally historically uncommon because of the the locality of the two practices. You yeah. know, like you have you have these um, like sort of border societies where people are like, if you go into the northern northern part of India into the Himalayas, you'll see it's mostly Buddhist monks. Yeah, and then, and if you go up into like Kulu Valley or that like. The people look Tibetan yeah. and they, you know, they're, they have a, 
there's prayer flags everywhere and then there's Hindu temples and there's Buddhist monks and you see that there's a merging of cultures or a sharing of cultures, which yeah. I think is beneficial. And so, you know, they share words, they share terms, they share different things. So I feel like for me in, in modern postural Western American yoga, that's yeah. happened. And even though a lot of people aren't aware of it, it's been, it's been good. It's been, a it's good been good. There's, it's you know, the, mindfulness. And 100%, 100%. I feel like one thing, it, you know, I don't know the the whole spiritual movement, like the yoga movement and everything. It it kind of watered stuff down a little bit, you know. But I don't think in a it's not a bad thing because it's turned a lot of people on to um, some spirituality, and they can they can make the choice if they want to go deeper with some of the practices, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know. So th- there's there's both with it. There's um, always, isn't there always both? It's yeah, always when like, she gets, you know, she gets popular. You want it to be all one. You want it to be all yeah, good. The, the almighty Dharma, capitalism, the almighty Dharma dollar, you know, it's like everybody has a yeah. training. You can be a meditation teacher. You take this 20 hour, you know, yoga course. Yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, wow. <laughs> the number of people that go deep is, is pretty high, actually. So I try yeah. to see the positive stuff. Yeah, and no, like, no, no. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there, there is that. The there is that, and there's this, you know, there's the the whitewashing of yoga and all of those things. Yeah. And then there's people, you know, for whom this becomes, you know, a much deeper practice and a much. Uh, so I, I I don't like to like crap on the people that are like. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying not. To, I hope I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying like, to crap. But. Yeah, <laughs> you're not. Okay. You're not. But there are people that are like, oh, it's just so whitewashed, and I'm like, okay, let's focus like this is white power yoga. And I'm like, let's focus on actual white power people and not really worry about this like 70 year old lady who like was a hippie and got into meditation. Like she's not really holding that space. She's like, she might not be totally aware of all of the things, but like, let's be reasonable. Like, And and I I also, the interesting thing too, is when I was, uh, I was sitting at the table with I was sitting at the table. I was the only person at the table who wasn't from Southeast Asia. Oh, shit. <laughs> and there, you know, because it was like all my friends from yeah. this, this Sangha, and they were like, they were all going, This is bullshit. This is for everyone. Meditation's for everyone. This has nothing to do with East and West. What is this? What is this movement? Why are we doing this? We're and I was like, Yeah. And it was funny because I was eating tofu, and they're like, You can't even eat that tofu if you're gonna do this. And it, you know, you know, and I, I do wow. like I appreciate the sentiment of that, and it is really good because it's dry. Sure. It's given us to to like take this on for real and really get it deep into study. But also at the same time, um, like having compassion is so much a part of both of these practices. Yep. Like, don't always judge people at the first minute, you know, and yeah. see what they're see why they're there and well, see everything, what's yeah, about. everything's really polarized, you know, and it, and in a good way. I feel like the pendulum needs to kind of swing one way for it to bring back into the into the middle of it but you know i think they're all good things he's it's having the conversation and it has been you know kind of whitewashed in a bunch of in a lot of ways so i just for me my own practice and my own offerings is how can i make it more accessible to to all you know and not 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 get in because i think it can be really bypassy with you know um uh uh we're all the same we're all one you know kind of thing where it's like we we i think we can discard someone's experience you know the the female experience the black experience yeah so having the conversation and really listening i my i try my best just to listen to to 
to people that that was yeah that's one of the things that was like actually sort of one of the jewels I know in Buddhism they have mm-hmm. the three jewels. Yeah, yeah. One of the three jewels in, in hardcore music was that people had di- they dialogued about everything. Yep. Yeah. So they yep. were they never shied away. They were not conflict fearful people at yeah, all, yeah. say the very least. So when something came up, people would get into it. And yeah. I actually really appreciate that because you got through a lot. Like if there was like a, a thing that you needed to be discussed, people didn't like back away and and ignore it. They went straight to it and they yeah. dealt with it. You know, even if it was kind of like street justice, it was like, sure. all right, let's do this. You know, and it was like, and then it was solved and everyone sat it down and and went on. And I, I do, I think that that does in some ways train us for spiritual life, that willingness to kind of face these different, like very difficult things, difficult emotions, difficult, you know, so I, I really do credit hardcore. Hardcore is super and, spiritual, y'all get into so, some hardcore <laughs> one time i tried to explain to krishna das who now he now he knows about it but he goes i said well you know i was like in this band. i was in this band it was like a hardcore <laughs> band and it was like we sang about krishna and he just goes wow <laughs> because the kali yuga is advancing <laughs> yeah, absolutely and I mean, maybe it is maybe this is you know this is like part of this you know the age of quarrel type of spiritual life mm-hmm. i mean you can't you can't deny that it's pretty loud crazy thing but at, at the same time when we're really practicing spiritual life whether it's you know when you're sitting in a, when you're sitting in meditation from the outside you might appear to be very serene oh you're burning inside closer to a mosh pit burning inside (laughs) stage dives people stepping on my head (laughs) i'm stepping on my own head i'm stepping on my own head i'm kicking myself in the face i'm blaming myself oh it's it's like you know it does prepare you in some to some degree to Sure. And it also does um, the other the other element of hardcore, which is which is interesting that I because I, I thought a lot about this is that it has this element of like pilgrimage, yeah. So and and dedication to relics, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's true. Are Those we are relics? Like pilgrimage aspect. <laughs> you go, you like you once you commit, you're like I go I go to I go to CBGBs and I, yeah. I'm there every Sunday and yeah. come hell or high water, I don't care if there's a snowstorm. This isn't a West Coast thing. Yeah, but you're like I'm I am I'm shoveling my way out. I will walk to the train station if I need to, and then I will I will stand on that freezing sidewalk. My feet will be frozen to the sidewalk, but agnostic front is playing, so I need to be there for that. And then yeah, like me, later, yeah. you're like. And that 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 drive and that that ability to ex- exert effort for something translates into, you know, the ability to sit when it's uncomfortable, or the ability to to get to some pilgrimage spot, or to yeah. be, you know, India. We were like, we got this. We've been standing, and our vans have been got, frozen yeah. to the sidewalk for ten years. <laughs> yeah. Now we're barefoot. We're yeah. walking along the Yamuna, but so what? We've got this. We were tough. Yeah, it's been no, I- tough. Yeah, I think it's a back to be back in the day, but especially back then, like you had to really search for, you know, the artists and, and you go to shows. That's the only way that you're going to see a new band. You can't just look them up online and see if you like them or not. You know, you're going yeah. to see a band that you like and then there's the opening band. You're like, oh, shit, I never heard of these, you know, and you get. Yeah, on, so you so. have that. Absolutely. And there's a community aspect to community. it, which I think is. is Sangha. Yeah. It's the sangha. Yeah. You have the sangha. What's the third jewel of hardcore? I, I Buddha, Buddha Dharma Sangha. What would be the third jewel? 
wisdom waking up so yeah waking up to the the uh you know <laughs> against the capitalist you know regime okay. against the machine <laughs> yeah against um, the machine uh, <laughs> the sangha is definitely there so yeah. I mean, teaching you know we're, we're learning you know dharma, well, dharma I mean, is I, just teaching you know yeah. well actually it's true i mean the number of people that found out about spiritual life from like a, a record yeah it's pretty high i mean yeah. that, that, so here's just something and i feel like we should just touch on this because we're we're doing this interview and like you know everything that's happening in in, in ukraine and, and yeah, all the please. different things that are happening and i i just got a really good i got word from my my one of my anthropology teachers who also works with a, a non-governmental organization and you know works with the un and stuff says mm. that um, as of yesterday, a convoy of, of German human rights workers got a bunch of vans and they're driving to the border of Ukraine and they're getting out all the Asian and, and African students uh, right now as we speak, which is like totally beautiful. amazing because, I'm getting because without Instagram, they wouldn't even know that. Right. So those things matter, like these things that you're doing and bringing awareness, yeah. those things matter. So that's happening. But um in addition to that, a few a few days ago, I got a message on the 108 Instagram page, and it was, you know, a picture of a kid. He's wearing a judge shirt, right? Mm -hmm. He's in Belarus, oh, wow. and he says, "Can you please tell the people of America that the the people of Belarus and the people of Russia do not support yeah. this war? We stand yeah. with the Ukrainians." And it was like, I was like, "Okay, this." This movement did something. There is a worldwide community where a kid who's, I mean, he's a kid, yeah. 20 years old, wearing a judge shirt. I could see his pictures. Wow. He's, he's, he's straight edge. He's yeah. a vegan. Yeah. And he's into Krishna yeah. because of Shelter in 108 <sighs> is writing me and saying, I want you to know. And it was like this moment yeah. of being like, wow, this is just you know, we did something, this, mm -hmm. some, this mattered and that there's a worldwide community where someone like that wants to reach out to me. And, um, you know, I mean, I, he doesn't know if it's me or the guy, other guys in 108, but it happens to be me because I'm very loquacious. And, <laughs> and I was able to then, you know, take what he said and, 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 and he's risking his life. He's risking being, yeah. you know, yeah. a consequence to say that, but he yeah. wants, he wants people to know that the people on the ground don't support this war and yeah. like for me it was everything you know and i was just like wow this kid somehow he's finding like a judge shirt and he's like <laughs> listening to like youth of today and like super punk because that's life. against everything that government you know that you know very oppressive fucking government and he's yeah and like you, know, you know hardcore bands play there and they they make a relationship with the kids there and all over the eastern black countries and 108 you know 108 went to to europe right after the berlin wall fell and we went into mm. poland and we played to these kids that had not you know everything was controlled by the government and they had this they got to go to a show and they're so like cool see hardcore <laughs> hilariously that that show sticks out in my mind we played every song we knew including like some inside out songs and then nice. they just wouldn't leave and we couldn't yeah. we couldn't leave <laughs> so we just played the entire set from the beginning again the whole oh, no shit. yeah we just so cool and it was early enough that, you know, early enough that the Iron Curtain had fallen. It was 1992, I think. It was really early. And 
everything still was like, you know, when you passed into Eastern Europe, it was like going into a black and white film. It was so, you know, just so communist, um, you know, you know, it was very like economically depressed, but the kids were like amped for hardcore. They wanted to hear music and then they wanted to, they wanted the Krishna music and they wanted to try like the sweets, the Mm. Indian sweets. And they wanted the, they wanted to hear these teachings and they, they wanted to hear it so much that they just blocked our passage. And then they just, we played our whole set twice. And then, then when we got to the border to change our money, there was before the European Union and we went to the border to change our money to, to Deutschmarks, which were really strong at that time. Mm-hmm. Ripped up the money. It was counterfeit Polish money. Oh, <laughs> shit. We were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Those are, you know, tough times. It was like, oh, oh with refused. You know, refused. They yeah. they were little kids, and they were opening for one away, which is oh, just yeah. They were really <laughs> young back then, huh? They were like, yeah, I think they were yeah. like, I don't know, I was twenty or something, so they were like seventeen, six, wow. eighteen, you know, young babies, kids, babies, not holy yeah. ground. They were boys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if, like, yeah, maybe we could put in um in the in the notes of this podcast too some of those organizations that you're talking about that are supporting if people can want to support. Um, yeah, I have you know. I, I have to look them up, but I, okay. I have a have the information for those because um there's all different ones. And one of the good sort of results of of what's happening is that there's awareness that now because people are like, hey, why are you only interested in this conflict? There's conflicts happening right. in these other places. Yeah. And so people are becoming aware. And I just I do feel like it's nice to have a platform to share information. Yeah and share information so that you know kids in texas don't get bullied by a bunch of oh my god like completely lacking compassion old white bully guys that have nothing to do with these kids and have no reason to try to like interfere with their manifestation of who they are as themselves it's just so gross it's really bad there are like different ways that and you know if you if you study human rights and and there is really the factor of like giving money to a human rights organization is not a cop-out. You know, sometimes right. you can't be on the ground and at the border of Ukraine, but you can give money to some organizations. Even the Red Cross is actually a good organization to give to. Mm. And that, you know, I, I, I'm inspired to do that too, because they are taking that and that there's, yeah, we can share that. That would be nice. No, so yeah, if yeah. you want to do some activism, hardcore for me had activism was it always. Did. Yeah, absolutely. Integral in it. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Well, this this interview is is fucking it's so cool. It's been a long one, so I'm hoping. You yeah, I've so listened. I've listened to some long ones, and I just you know you listen to a little bit that. and you pause maybe it. Maybe we should give these our listeners. Maybe we should give our listeners a break now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's so much more I want to talk about. You know, I I still want to talk about Project Kate. Um, yeah, when that thing came out, it was like '95, I think, when you um you released that Project Kate, and uh. I don't know, it was um, my wife and I were just so stoked on it. And uh, it was like our summer jam for all of 95. And, uh, you know, when I still, I put that on, it just brings me right back there. That thing is just timeless. And uh, yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about Project Kate. And um, why isn't there a follow-up? Well, it's like, basically, I recorded it when I was pregnant with my daughter. So like I had played, we would all, you know, we play hardcore shows. And then at the time I lived with Norman, 
mm-hmm. who's, in, who's in Texas is the reason. And that band was forming. And I, before that I had played, I played music with Sergio and Alan, who then I, I'm like, I got, I got ditched by all these guys. They, they went on and formed quicksand. Right, right. So like, you, would, you had all those guys in your band. Before I had they got those big. guys. We recorded this demo and then they, so quicksand. and then, then I was like, I still want to actually really record this stuff. So I got, uh, this guy John Crickson, who was in this in a band called Collapse, who was yeah, like I very Collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Band. and then he was like my friend. And then Norm, um, he played guitar on a song. And then Sergio Vega, who is in Quicksand, Sergio, and yep, yep. so we just kind of over a few days we recorded some songs that I had played. And the one song, which is called California, like I had yeah. written that song with with a. a a guy named Blake Schwarzenbach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I don't know no why. Shit. How did you get how'd you get in contact with Blake? Because I knew Blake from like Albany Hardcore. And then he went to uh, NYU and I lived on 16th Street on one side of Union Square Park. And he lived on 16th Street on the other side of Union Square Park. And I like went over and we like played music one day. Yeah, I thought and Blake was a West Coast, West Coast dude. Yeah, but he went to NYU. But the oh, thing is, right. I didn't. I didn't really like. I didn't. I feel bad about it now because I didn't like really properly credit him or like you know it was like something that like we played together and then I just took it and recorded it. I really that wasn't. Like, oh, so that was co-written. That wasn't Blake? right action. That wasn't, that right, wasn't action. right. Yeah, yeah. You're making amends right now. <laughs> like, you know, it was like I, by that point it had become my song in my mind. But really, the whole one, the whole part. Really, he just. He just wrote it and showed it to me. Wow. And, and Blake, like, Blake is Jawbreaker, right? Right. Blake is in Jawbreaker. Yeah. Jawbreaker, and I reached yeah. out to and him. You can go and see said, them the 25th. Them in Jawbreaker. Nice. Yeah. His, mom is a, his mom is a Dharma person. Really? Yeah. Oh, no shit. Some She's of the. Yeah. A Dharma person. So, so then that happened. And then, um, and then it was the guy from Texas is the reason um, Garrett, like he and I, you know, he had written like a song and then I played it. And then, so that's all, it was all this like post-hardcore people all kind of playing music and then we put it down and we, but then what happened was then I had a, you know, my daughter and I moved oh, okay. back into the country. So I didn't really, I tried to play a little after when she was a baby, but it just wasn't compatible. So, so I no follow-up. Basically no follow-up. And no then follow-up. I've, I've since found out that like all these people loved that record. And so I'm like, good. well, at least that, you know, but, so good. but yeah. So, so it's kind of like, go buy project K, go upload that, download it, whatever you do. Go buy yeah. It's project <laughs> K. It's a, it's a record called the way birds fly. Yeah. And um, I just kind of wanted to do something really musical too. And, and yeah. so that's what that was. Well, that it has a nice a, mix too of like acoustic really soft but then like the heavy uh you know sergio and um it was was it the drummer and bass player from quicksand well originally like alan, heavy... yeah originally alan played with me and we recorded this demo but then later it was another the guy from collapse oh okay but, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah so it's it's really good it has a really nice mix of both so i, oh, I, thank really, you. I really thank appreciate you. it it really hit the sensitive and masculine side of me yeah exactly exactly um so yeah so this we can wrap it up i don't want to keep you too much longer i know but, i mean but, yeah. well you know it's like at a certain point but yeah i'll have to do it again if you want yeah. to and so you and you and steve did we don't need to get too much into it you and steve did um equal vision records did you both start that together I mean, 
Yeah, we did, but I haven't done much with it, to be honest. It's mostly him. You know, we started it in the Philadelphia. So actually, Ray Capo started it. He named it. He put out a seven inch. Yeah. And then I think one shelter record and then we took it over. Okay. And then but and I did do stuff with it. But it's mostly Steve. Honestly, I I didn't really run. I didn't really run Equal Vision. I mean, I own half of it, but I don't don't run it. Were you doing like kids? You were doing merch, I think, for a lot of bands back then, too, weren't you? Like and then you still do. And you still do merch now. Yeah. Merch now is just, it's all in the same building. We just, we just separated the businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, because I'm not a good business person. I'm good at books. I like books, but I'm not like good books. at business. That's Steve's department. But yeah, so we do merch now and equal vision. And then we have like something which is called the shop, which does the printing of the of the okay. stuff. And then that goes into merch now, which is mail order. And then Equal Vision is the record label. Nice. And Montrology Mon- is that your is that your like t-shirt line? So Montrology is um uh, uh we decided since we were like, why don't we put out Kirtan music? Because we have all the skill set okay, and the yeah. staff. So Montrology is like a subsect of Equal Vision, and that was much more my project than Steve's. But I used all of the people at Equal Vision, like helped me know how to put out records in the modern yeah. world. Like, how do you deal with metadata? I don't know. Yeah, but I, yeah. Laura, here, can you get this on Spotify? And she does it. Cool. So, um, so we started to do that about, it's actually been, I think it's 12 years now. No, it's 14 years ago, I guess. Wow. 2008. I'm bad at math. That's why I don't yeah. run a business. <laughs> yeah, that's why you don't run <laughs> So we started doing like events and kirtan things and what, oh, what cool. that did for me was it opened up the whole world of kirtan and and the the sort of various and sundry spiritual paths that were um connect you know kids from iskan but there were like iskan is the international yeah. society for krishna consciousness which people know as the Hare krishnas yeah and then there were like the neem karoli baba people and yeah. the the 3ho which is the american sikh organization um happy healthy holy and mm. then there you know there was the neem karoli baba mm. people that were disciples of, of Neem Karoli Baba and like in, involved with Ram Das and everybody kind of started to know each other. And that was the great part of Montrology, but I've kind of set that down now because oh, okay. just because I've, I've um, just because I, after my kids all went to college, I decided I wanted to do my buck, a bucket list thing, which was to, which was to go back to, to school and get my master's and so cool. my PhD, but I'll see. That seems like a big yeah. you have three kids? I have three kids, yeah. Three kids, three kids. And then uh and so maybe if you after you do get done with school, will we get um a Kirtan record from you? Um I maybe might, that's the follow up. I, I can still put my own record out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I had a plan. Because you, you do with uh, Krishna Krishna Das, you, you do some stuff with him, don't you? Yeah, or you I, used to. I, I mean I not anymore, but... occasionally. I mean he's I, um and then I play with Nina, who Nina is Krishna Das's manager, and also she plays cartels like the symbols. And then when she chants, I play for her. Okay. And then I started to play sometimes for Krishna Das, but I do chant on my own. I do, yeah. I, I do this like during the pandemic because I was so desperate and I was so used to being with people all the time playing hardcore music or kirtan music. I started to just chant um, on Instagram live every night and I don't do it every night now, but for about a year, I did it every single night. Oh, super! And cool. I learned this whole um, 40 verse prayer called the Hanuman Chalisa, which is mm. 40 verses of proto-Hindi 
and it's prayer to Hanuman. And it was it was hard. It was hard to learn. It took me the whole yeah. I chanted it before, but I so you know I do stuff like that. And Nina and I do we do we do retreats and things like that. We've done chanting retreats and oh, cool. You know, really, if you if you find me on Instagram. I will answer you. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all the all your your yeah. your uh, social media handles in the notes too. So uh, many. <laughs> yeah, a lot. We we all have a lot of them. What would you say to anybody new that is looking to get into spirituality and is turned on? Um, resonating with what you're saying. I mean, I think it's just. I think it's really fantastic to just um, uh, start with listening to some sacred music. Hmm. And I mean, now it's such a different world. Like essentially every great teacher that you might've had to travel to go find, you can pretty much find them on YouTube now. And so like every Thursday night, Krishna Das teaches on YouTube and Instagram live. So you can just, or Facebook live. So you can go on Facebook and you can hear him teaching and it's nice to sit and listen to teachings. Um, if you can, eventually go to the places. Go to find your find a place. Uh, yoga centers are always having kirtan, and read "Be Here Now." Yeah, so good. Read "Be Here Now." Just start it's, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then find find a. I would start. I I think everyone should read the Bhagavad Gita, but there's something called Gita Wisdom written mm. by a person named Joshua Green. And it's a very, it's like only hundred pages. Okay. makes it a little bit, cause that thing's deep. Like the Gita, so I, I got it. I, I got into it for a while and it's like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a life study, but this, you can read this. And, and then I would also, and then barring all of that, just read the stories. So yeah, go stories. to the stories. That was into the stories. Yeah. For sure. Dive right into the stories. And if you're barring all that, if you're like, I just kind of want to know it, go buy a children's book. Go to the children's book section and get the book on the life of Buddha. There's a children's yeah. book version. There's a there's the, all the stories of the Ramayana. They're in comic book form and mm. they're in children's book form. And you can read them and get the whole, the juice and the essence of the story out of those. And then if you like it, then you can progress to one of the other. Yeah. So yeah. every single used bookstore that I've been to has a section with all of these books in it. So I think you should just get some chai and you should go to the spiritual bookstore and then you can download some music on Spotify. I mean, it's cozy so up. easy. Now. Yeah, cozy it's up. All there for you. Yeah. And, and, and listen to the Be Here Now podcast. There's all teachers. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways that you can bring this stuff right into your house. And then yeah. and if it resonates with you, when when everything opens up more and it is, Go to the places and, and be with the people and eat together and sit together and walk together and all of those things. Yeah. I think it's really about that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking this time. It's been a long one, but it's been super, really, really nice talking to you. Yeah, Seems like we, you. we went through these waves. It's cool. You know? Yeah, I really appreciate you asking yeah. me because I, you know, for me, um, it's it's nice to tell my story. I think people. It's nice to hear other people's stories. I think testimony is is like a big part of you know how we relate as human beings yeah. to understand each other on a deep level. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to meet. It's nice to meet you. It's cool. I, I didn't too. ask anything about you, so I'm gonna have to do. I have to start a podcast okay. and interview you. 
I, okay, I'd be one of the first. I would be so honored. <laughs> so, and I, I look forward to it. And hopefully we can, you know, maybe practice together, teach together, I think would be really, yeah. really cool. So where are you located? I'm uh, Northern California, um, Santa Cruz. So okay. the South. I go um, out there. There's great stuff out there. Yeah, sometimes I'm out there. I have Let friends. I might be going to New York. I might go to um, uh, retreat out there with Josh Corda from Dharma Punks, New York. Yeah. Dharma Punks. Um, well, if you do, then let me know because okay. all three of my kids live in New York City and I come down and okay. and hang out and they give me, if I go see them, they, they hang out with me for like four to five minutes. <laughs> yeah, a minute, that's it. <laughs> my kids my 10, daughter, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to get all the cuddles, 10. I mean, it's yeah. this is next my, coming my years. My kids have grown up with like every hardcore person and they're like, yeah, whatever, Daryl from the Bad Brains, Peace, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Later. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, or whatever. Yeah, and they, my daughter was the, the last thing is, because it's always funny how dorky you are, no matter who you are, how yeah. you're like you're a loser <laughs> my daughter works at limited to one which is this like really cool record store and it's like all these you know crazy one-of-a-kind records and the and the guy that owns it was like yeah your daughter like i thought she would think you were cool but she doesn't yeah. <laughs> i was like i need that <laughs> yeah if she only knew though you were so cool you're a pivotal person in the hardcore scene the Krishna scene, everything, you know, I just, yeah. So it's so Gotta cool be humble. Kids wisdom. keep you humble. So, Kids well, thank you, you so sure. much. That was really fun. It was yeah. just a great way to spend for me a winter afternoon. It's, yeah, still, it's, it's 10 degrees out. Oh, well, so. it's, it's like, it's 60 here and it's cold. It's raining. Oh, 60, I'll be in a bikini. Racing <laughs> just kidding. I would never be in a bikini. <laughs> All, All right. right. All right. So Appreciate care. you, Kate. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Hella Meditated Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Stay up, stay true, be you. Yeah. Yeah.